Let's open our Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 2. If you're able, would you stand with me while I read the Word of God? (coughs) Heavenly Father, come upon us this morning. Open our eyes to your glory. Open our eyes to how we are called to live. Open our eyes to how we have died with Christ and how he now lives within us. Bring your Holy Spirit upon us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Everybody uh, probably in this room is familiar to some degree, some level with death. Some more than others, maybe it be through your profession or the fast passing of a a loved one or maybe even a a, a pet or simply the regular intake of the news that we see on television. Uh, You can't watch television without seeing it or can't look at the internet without seeing this regular barrage of people dying. Whether we see the tragedies that that come from a a bad theology in the the Muslim world and a a very corrupt view, or we see the senseless killings that happened this week of, of the police officers. In some way, it's easy to grow callous to to death. Uh, Joseph Stalin said, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. And he said, so if you kill enough people, many people don't care anymore. And he went about that to a great extent, in fact, being responsible for the deaths of millions of his people. And we see that. I said, you know, Stalin was responsible for 30 or 40 million deaths. We go, wow, that's, that's a lot. Because we, our minds just cannot comprehend the vastness of someone wanting and willing and ordering the deaths of that many people. Now, we understand everything dies in life. But, and as I did some research on this, I did find that there is a patch of seagrass in the Mediterranean Sea that is several thousand years old. And I thought, does this stuff never die? But I found out also that it clones itself. So it genetically, it is the same batch of seagrass that is 5,000 years old, but there is no leaf of seagrass itself that is 5,000 years old. So everything dies. Age, trauma, disease, natural cause. You, most of the time, we usually try to stay away from um, the process of death. Now, Christians are not afraid of 
death because we know what happens. We know the promises that are set before us in Scripture. We might not like the process of dying, but death itself is not that bad because even Paul said, what, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, to live is Christ, that's pretty good. So death, to gain at death, has to be better than to live for Christ. Now Paul, as he's writing here in Galatians, Paul had a tough time here. Now, we don't see that in this little portion of it, but he had a pretty tough time here. He had shed his blood. He had almost been killed here in Galatia. So he'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead uh, on the dump outside the city. And and so he had really, at great peril and cost of of his person and of his very life, had planted the churches in and around this area. Churches like Lystra, Iconium, Derby, Antioch, these were all churches that Paul had planted on this particular journey. And now as he leaves each of those churches, along comes a batch of people who are called the Judaizers. And, and they say, you know, Paul, Paul really didn't teach what was right because he said you didn't have to follow the Jewish laws anymore. So they came along and said, you really do have to follow these Jewish laws. Jews, if, if you can believe in Christ, but you can't, you can't hang out with the Gentiles anymore. You can't eat with them. You can't associate with them. And in fact, when you go and do eat, you, can, you still have to follow the dietary laws. See, they were bringing legalism back into Christianity. Just as fast as Paul would leave town, they were on his heels coming behind him. They were denying the gospel of grace. They were denying what Paul writes. So Paul writes to counteract these types of things. So in, in the immediate context here, really in verses uh, 15... Uh, through 19 leading up let me read those for us Paul says we're we're Jews by nature not sinners from among the Gentiles nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? And this is one of his favorite replies to his own questions. Well, may it never be. He said, are you kidding me? Of course not. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. That I might live to God. So he rebukes these teachings, and in fact, he has just rebuked Peter, because Peter was kind of, he was kind of getting a little fuzzy on this. He says, no, this is what is true, Peter. Now, Peter was, in a sense, the big dog in the apostle world there. And then Paul comes along, and Peter was, as I said, getting a little fuzzy, and Paul had to address some very specific issues here. So he corrects them on the difference between what is grace and what is law and what we have to do and what Christ has done for us. So he elaborates on this principle. He lays out this great doctrine of justification and the great uh, things that Dan taught us a, a few weeks ago about um, you know, the, the, the covenant of redemption and the, and the work of Christ uh, from, that, was, that was guaranteed our salvation from before we ever hit, hit this earth. That was the guarantee that Christ's work would be the payment for our sin. So Paul lays out this doctrine of justification here. And then on top of that, he says these words, which uh, look at them in context. Look at them in context. 
he says this to this group of people. And remember, he's just kind of sitting around here. This is one of those meals where they're worshiping, they're, they're eating together, they're fellowshipping together, they're reading the scripture, they're doing all these things. And then he says, for I've been crucified with Christ. Now, we kind of know what that means because we've got 2,000 years on Paul. But imagine his audience hears these words. You've been crucified. Paul, you're sitting right here. You haven't been crucified with Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. It is no longer I who live. This was an absolute statement. An absolute statement. Was Paul dead? No. Had he been crucified with Christ? Yes. This is one of those doctrines that he is teaching to these people. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. He's saying, yes, you can see me here. I'm right in the room with you. But it's not really me who's living. It's Christ who's living within me. It is Christ who's living within me. So in these two verses, we have the the pinnacle of of what we've been studying for the last 12 or 13 or 14 weeks, our union with Christ. This is is where, where we reach the top. This is as good as it gets here. Because our union with Christ is not so much that Christ has come and joined with me, but that I am dead. And he comes and gives me life. Okay? Don't, don't think that, that you've added Christ on. You've got Christ in your pocket. You know, I used to use the illustration with kids. I, you know, I, I talk about a quarter and you put it in your pocket and you walk around. And, and you don't know the, the quarter is always there, but the quarter is always there. You can reach in your pocket and feel it. That's kind of, kind of like what Christ is like in your life. Now that I'm more mature. Okay. <laughs> now I'm just dead. Because if I'm not dead, then I, I have not been crucified with Christ. Was I on that hill with Christ? No. Was I on that hill with Christ? Yes. I hadn't even been born when Christ died. But, but I have been crucified with Christ. My sins have been paid for. So it's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives within me. Paul is stating things that can't physically be true, but they're spiritual realities. They are spiritual realities realities you cannot be united with christ unless you are united with him in his death and in his resurrection that means you have to die with him you have to be raised with him the waters of baptism they cover you they cleanse you that means your life must end and his life in you must begin that means you must become less and he must become more john the baptist had that down just right in our passage paul says i've been crucified with christ as I said, he's sitting in the love feast, they're, they're worshiping, and he pulls out this statement, which pretty much probably shocked everybody. And there are Judaizers within that group, because they're hanging out, wanting to see what Paul's saying, so that when he leaves town, they can jump right in. They've been eating, drinking, praying, singing, reading the scriptures. But in the crowd, Paul has noticed that all the Jews seem to be, the Jewish converts all seem to be over on this side. And all the Gentile converts seem to be over on that side. And that's not right. That would be like, um, well, I, I didn't even know how to, how to divide a group. Um, that would be like all the right-handed people are over here and all the left-handed people are over here. Because the right-handed people say, well, 
we're the majority, so we must be right. And the left-handed people say, well, we're the only ones in our right mind, so we must be right. Okay? And so, but, but Paul, Paul got rid of that. What he said, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no, no, no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no man or woman in Christ. We're all the same. So there should be this unity of the body. That's why Christ prays in John 17, for the unity of the body. Paul says, uh, hey, it's, it's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives within me. And that's the way it should be with all of us. There is no other effort that we need to extend to get to heaven except the work of Christ. There is the effort of living that out in this world, but there's no other effort to get us there. So Paul is talking about those who want to add things to the work of Christ. This marvelous grace that Christ brings to us. How could we think we could ever add anything to make it better? How could we think we could ever add anything to make it more perfect? Because we can't. We simply cannot. And Paul, in fact, he goes on to say, you know, all those things that I did in my life, and he lists them. He goes on and makes a big, long list of all his accomplishments. And he says, you know what I view all those things to be now? He says, they're just dung. It's the empty works. They're just dung. It's therefore Christ who lives within me. From him I receive all the strength that I need so that I may live unto him. I base, that's what I base my hope of eternity upon. What's the hymn? On, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Okay? And you have to see that. How many, how many have been to Israel? Who's been to Israel? Have you seen a wadi? Okay, a wadi is just a big wide thing that's filled with sand. But it's one of those places that when it rains 40 miles away, all the water gets funneled through these. And when the water hits it, that sand is just like mush. And that's what they're talking about. So when you build your house, you build it on a rock. You don't build it on the sand because when the rains come down, the floods come up, the house gets washed away. Okay? So many throughout history have decided... Well, yeah, I appreciate what Paul says, but I think there's something else we need to do. Something else we need to do. And a part of it's our mindset, because we, we want to be doers. Okay? So we want to be perfect in what we do. So people have added things, and I just came up with my own list, like doctrinal accuracy. That you just, you're not really getting to heaven until your doctrine is perfect. Okay? Now, so whose doctrine is right that it should be perfect? Well, you know, obviously I'm up front. My doctrine must be perfect. No, Ooh, don't, let's not have the lightning come down and take me. Okay, there is no evidence that anybody in history except Christ and maybe Paul and the apostles had the right, well, Peter didn't have the right doctrine sometimes. You don't have to have doctrinal perfection. You can't have it. Okay, you can't have it. How about our own efforts? Well, if, if there's... <laughs> Our own efforts. So you add your own efforts to, to, to salvation. Uh, you just, you know, if you can gain it yourself, you can lose it yourself. You gain it yourself, you can lose it yourself. How about human wisdom? You know, God made us smart. He gave us a brain. Maybe he, if there's a way that we can figure out something else that we need to add to the work of Christ. But scripture says human wisdom will, it says, carry you off, which means to plunder uh, to kidnap someone. It's used to seduce 
someone. Human wisdom will seduce you away from the truth of Scripture. So he says, don't let anybody kidnap you. Don't let anybody plunder you. Don't let anybody seduce you or carry you off by the philosophy of men. He terms that as vain deceit. Vain deceit. Traditions of men, they've tried to add that. Um, Oh, yeah, well, this is the way we do it. Well, great. That may, if it's a way that you do it because that's the way you like it, the question is, is that the way God likes it? That's the big question for us. Liberal theology, many of us have come out of uh, liberal theology over the years because it just got worse and worse and we couldn't take it anymore. And, and, and liberal theology moves away from the things of Christ, moves away from the absolutes of Jesus Christ and, and the teachings of Scripture. It says, well, and I love this because I've heard this. I know it says that, but God really meant, (laughs) gee, God must look a lot like me then, if that's the way I'm going to say it. Ooh, that's bad, bad. Oh, ritualism. Um, You know, rituals are good, but we have to remember that some of the things that we do, we do because, again, like tradition, we like them. Uh, We find comfort in them. We find a sense of closeness with the Lord in them. But they're not absolute. Not everybody believes in those same things. So those are just a few of the ways that men have added to the gospel. And and as an example, you know, I I don't give you a a full review on the DR because I haven't processed it all. But we we joke and say, we're going to do that offering next week. I'm just not sure that that's a, a ritual that we could adapt to. Uh, here, um, you know, because we, we have our own rituals, our own traditions to do. Um, I, I'm, I'm tr- trying desperately to find a way to integrate that metal can and, and the stick into worship. It looks like a sifter, okay, that has a bunch of holes in it. It's a design, and you scrape it up, up and down like a, uh, it's scrape it, and it goes it makes a good sound. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to go with the organ, or, but we'll work, we're working on it, okay? We're working on it. But some traditions just don't go. They're culturally bound, and they're great in that culture. They may not transfer over to another culture. But people have added to the things of, gospel, to, of the gospel of Christ because they don't want to die with Christ. They don't want to be crucified with Christ. They don't want to have themselves disappear as much as possible and only have Christ there visible. They don't want to do the things that Christ commands them to do. They want to be able to explain them away and say, well, yeah, some people can do that. But, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more advanced in my understanding of the gospel. And I really don't have to do those things. I don't have to be that obedient to the gospel. Yes, you do. If you're crucified with Christ, as Paul says, you're not there anymore. It's Christ who lives within you. And there's always this struggle. Well, there's a lot of Randy living in me today. Well, other days there's more Christ living within me. So it's an ongoing battle, and that's, that's the work of sanctification. The work of sanctification. So for those in his audience who could still not think of any other way except the literal fashion of what Paul said, you're crucified, you're dead, what are you talking about? Paul goes on a little bit further to explain it. He's not saying that he has no real material life. Obviously, he is there. 
I mean, there were some people who felt the more holy you get, the less the things of the world have any impact upon you and you become more spiritual. Those were kind of the mystics and things like that. But he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. It is my faith that drives me. It is my faith in the risen Christ, who is the Son of God, that drives me. He says, I'm not moving away from this material life, I'm moving to the real life. That is the real life of Jesus Christ. And he says this with an unshakable confidence and a strength and a power, and it is what Christ provides us to meet every need, to meet every obstacle that we are going to face. Now, if you look at verses 19 through 21, he uses some form of I, the pronoun I, Seven times in these verses. I died. I've been crucified. I might live. I who live. Christ lives within me. I live now. It's, it's just a very personal thing. And, and that's the nature of the gospel. The nature of the gospel is not, I live and I'm going to bring all those other people, what? On my coattails. That's not it. It has to be me. It has to be my, my, the change of my life. Now, my life is then lived as a demonstration for others, but I... I You can't pull anybody into heaven on your faith. You can demonstrate it. You can live it. You can expose them to it. You can pray for them. But it is the Lord who's going to work in their lives. And and all of us have faced that at some point. There are some people that we love. We just want them to believe, man. But we can't make them believe. We can't make them accept the things that we know to be true. Their heart has to be changed by the work of our Heavenly Father. So the object of his faith is Christ. It's not something about Christ. It is Christ himself who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ gave, up, gave, gave himself up for us in the punishment, in the shame, in the death of the crucifixion. He experienced our sin upon himself. You say, well, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, but it, it was your sin. It was my sin. It was the sin of all of us weighed upon Christ. And Paul says, he's done that for me. He makes it personal. He's done that for me. So he says, I'm not setting aside the grace of God. But you've got to rely upon, but, but you don't rely upon the works of men, like washing your hands in the right way, or hanging out with the right people, or eating only certain foods. He said, you are to live out the things of Christ in all these areas. You don't want to hang out with those people because they're unclean. Well, they're unclean because they don't know the gospel of Christ. That's where you need to be, is hanging out with them. As it, what? It's the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. If you can say, well, I'm not going to show it to them because I really don't like them. And, you know, scripture says, come out from among them. Well, if you come out from among them, they're not going to know anything about Christ. Come out from among them. Don't live like them. Don't do the same things that they do, but expose them to the gospel of Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. So Paul says, you don't add anything, because if you have to add anything to the work of Christ, that he died in vain, that his death was not good enough to do the things that it said he would do. There's a song. Bess, you're going to have to find this song, because I want us to sing it. Of course, I can't remember the words to it now. Here it is. And it comes from this passage. And and it's my favorite group 
is Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and they sing this. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Not I, but Christ that lives within me. His cross will never ask for more than I can give, for it's not my strength, but his. There's no greater sacrifice, for I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Oh, man, that's good. Now, they're pretty good singers, but that's just, those are good words. That is pure teaching. I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. In our experience of the union with Christ, it's not accomplished by human effort, but it's granted by God's grace. It's not a loss of my personality, but it's a renewal of my true personality, a renewal of the personality that I, that in a sense, I had, that I can have some sense of what it's to be like without sin. I can't really grasp it, but when Christ lives within me, I get a glimpse of it. I get a glimpse of it. It's renewal. It's the life I live in this body, I now live by faith. It's not a re- withdrawal into isolation. It's an empowerment to move into society. My union with Christ is not a protective covering that I wear, but it is an armor that I take into battle with me. Because Christ says, you can't stay out here. You've got to get into the world. You've got to live this stuff out. It is a practical outworking comes to us when Paul says, you're being led by the Spirit. That's part of the union with Christ. And it's active. You've got to walk by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit might lead you. And I, say, I can see where the Spirit wants to lead me, but I'm not going there. Come on, that's dangerous. That's people over there I don't like. I don't want to be with them. And the Lord says, that's where you've got to go. That's where you have to go. Because they need to see my gospel. They need to hear my gospel. They need to understand what union with Christ is about. And you're united with Christ. Now go show them what it's like to be united with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives within me. This isn't a, this isn't a proof text for passivity. Well, I don't have to do that. It's Christ doing it. Christ says, I have lived within you. This is a call for active living of the Christian life, the active living of the Christian life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. What kind of life does this call us to? The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Paul says there to the Galatians. The book of Romans, Galatians takes big chunks of theology. The book of Romans takes big chunks and then divides them into smaller bites for us. Verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is not a one-time thing. When you offer the sacrifice of, of a lamb at Passover, you, you only got to use the lamb once. But our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, day in and day out, every day. Oh, Jesus, Lord, do I have to do this tomorrow? Yes, you have to do it tomorrow. But the good thing is, 
I've enabled you. I've empowered you. I've even got a plan for you to follow that you can offer your body as a living sacrifice. Before you know it, our entire lives have been lived for Christ and his purposes. This is not an empty call. This is a call to a a life that is filled beyond what we can imagine, a life of sacrifice each and every day for Christ. Because it's no longer we who live, it's Christ who lives within us. One of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon, said this, When the Lord in mercy passed by and saw us in our blood, he first of all said, Live. And this he did first, because life is one of the absolutely essential things in spiritual matters. And until it be bestowed, we are incapable of partaking of the things of kingdom. He sees us in our our sins and he says, live. He gives us life. Now the life which grace confers upon the saints at the moment of their quickening, the moment of their salvation, is none other than the life of Christ. He doesn't say, Randy, live. He says, Randy, Christ lives within you now which like the sap from the stem runs into us and the branches and establishes a living connection between our souls and Jesus. Faith is the grace which perceives this union, having proceeded from it as its first fruit. It is the neck which joins the body of the church to its all-glorious head, Jesus Christ. He doesn't just give us new life, he gives us Christ's life. And because of Christ's death, we can live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, eh? even an entire lifetime is too short of a time to understand all that you have provided for us. You have made so many things plain and simple. Those are easy to understand. We need to apply those directly. Other things have to be applied in the daily living out. And they are seen in, a, in, a, in somewhat of a more cumulative effect. Our union with Christ is seen as we live it. Our living sacrifice is seen as we sacrifice day in and day out. As we offer our bodies for your service not just for what we want to do, but Lord, what is it that you want from us first and foremost? This is the essence of our union with Christ, the essence of our being crucified with him and him living within us. Heavenly Father, you do not just tell us this and put us out there on our own, but you go before us, you go behind us, you are above us, beyond us, on all sides. You have... laid your word as a light for our path you have given us the holy spirit what should we fear from the men of this world yeah they can kill our bodies but they cannot take what you have given to us and you have also laid upon us the call to demonstrate these things to that world that is hurting that world that that hates that world that uh, sees someone else that they don't like or that's not like them and and they want to do vicious and evil things they want to do violence upon their persons people who are different faiths and and they think well I, I can just kill them because they're of a different faith but yet you call us to love them you call us to demonstrate the things of Christ to them 
Heavenly Father, these, these may be dangerous times, but you are a great God, and we will trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.